So true confessions, when I was younger and uh, maybe even now, I love uh, Lego. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when my brothers and I, I have distinct memories of this. When we would walk the aisle, the Lego aisle at Toys R Us, you know, our, our imaginations would be captured by the images on the boxes. They all looked so interesting. They each told stories that each, each Lego kit invited us into a new world, or so it seems. And so this, I'm finding it um, difficult to describe Uh, So I wanted instead maybe just to show you uh, what I meant. And so yesterday, I relived a childhood memory. I walked the aisles of Toys R Us, and I picked out a Lego kit. Here we go. Here's here's what I found. Here is the, the, the box that stood out to me. Now, if you like Lego at all, if, if you know anything about what I'm talking about, you'll know that on the front of a Lego box, there is a picture, right? A picture about the kit. But it's not just about the kit. It's, there's more. On this one, there's a, there's a picture of a car. There's a, but, but behind the car, there's a picture of a city, of the car moving quickly through the big city. And this is something that captured my imagination. I'm just going to put this right here so it can be seen. You may be wondering what on earth this Lego kit has anything to do with the Bible. Um, But you see in this gospel passage, Jesus is talking about finding life, how to find life. And this is important because we find life in so many different ways. There are a lot of things that say they can, they can make us happy or, or that, that they'll make us important or give us hope or a future. But, but the message that Jesus preaches to his disciples is different and in a lot of ways backwards. How does Jesus tell his disciples how to find life? And what on earth does it have to do with this Lego kit? Well, that's what our sermon is about this morning, how to find life. Uh, So, number one, we're going to talk about the road to life. Number two, the guide for our journey. And number three, telling others about the way. So, the the road to life, the guide for our journey, and telling others about the way. And don't worry, this will remain a a foundation for the sermon. So, this, this will be a part of it. So, first, the road to life. So we're meeting Jesus in the gospel text this morning and his disciples as Jesus is teaching them, preparing them to tell others about the good news. And he ends by this saying that we just heard, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So this whole teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples is about how to find life, how to live in the way of finding their lives and not losing them. If we look to the other passages that were read this morning, we think of Jeremiah. Okay, Jeremiah was a prophet of God. David, David was uh, the anointed king of Israel. Paul was an apostle sent to continue the mission of Jesus to the Gentiles. All of these people, each of them, were captured by a vision 
just like I was in the Isle of Toys R Us yesterday when I picked out this Lego kit. A vision of life. They were captured by a vision of life with God. At a specific moment in time, each of them began to walk this road with God. Think about probably the most uh, notable one of those, those authors is the Apostle Paul. He had this incredible Damascus Road experience where he was a persecutor of the way of Jesus. And then Jesus met him and it changed the direction of his life. Or think of the disciples who Jesus is teaching right here. You know, when, when Jesus called them, some of them were fishermen. And there's, there's a, a story in the gospel where, where the day that Jesus calls some of them to be his disciples, they're doing their jobs as fisher, fishermen, and they're uh, not having a good night. And then Jesus tells them, oh, just, you know, throw your nets on the other side. And they catch a ton of fish. They had the most successful business enterprise that they'd ever had before. And what does Jesus say to them? Not go and sell and make money. He says, no, come and follow me. He calls them on a different road, and he says, I will teach you not to fish for fish, but to fish for people. See, each of these stories is an example of people who have had the direction of their lives radically changed by God, and it isn't something that they did on their own. The new direction of their lives is quite backward and challenging. But it's the way, Jesus says, to find life. If we look at the prophet Jeremiah in in the passage that was just read, this is a good example of it too. He is struggling in this passage with life with God. The challenge of living the way that God has called him to as, as a prophet to Israel He talks about being made fun of, being mocked for what God has told him to say. But how does he conclude? Does he say, I'm just going to give it up? No, he says, if I say I will not mention his word or speak anyone in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He can't help but speak of God. It's like a fire inside of him that just has to come out, even though what's happening on the outside isn't so fun for him. He can't help but follow God in this new way of life. Going back to this Lego kit, the reason I picked this one off the shelf of Toys R Us is because I liked it. I like the color green. I like cars that go fast. I like the fact that this one, in particular, you can make in three different ways. Think about it. If you like something enough, you won't be able to hold it in. It, it'll be burning inside of you, and you'll just have to tell somebody about it. You know, in fact, I got, I got back from Toys R Us, and, and, I, and I went up to Austin, and I said to him, you'll never believe what I got. I got a Lego kit. And he looked at me with a blank face. I'll give him a break because he's one and a half, but, and I hope that there's still hope for him. But what these Bible passages show us is that as people who have had God enter in and change the direction of their lives, they have gotten very excited about this. This forces us to ask that same question, you know, what gets us excited? What are the things that we get excited about, and are they the most important things in our lives, or should they be 
the most important things in our life. Life. One pastor reminds us, he said, he said this in a book I was reading, he says, what we think about when we don't have anything to think about is the most important thing to your heart. So this means when you're lying in bed at night, daydreaming at your desk during the day, wishing you didn't have to do that schoolwork, right? What are you daydreaming about? What are you thinking about? See, the problem is we often get excited about things that really can't make us happy in the long run. They don't fill us with joy in the long term. We, we oftentimes, you know, the things that we get excited about three months later, we find that, that we've gotten over the craze. And, and the same thing happens. You know, I, the day that I bought this kit, I was super excited about it. I told everyone about it. And then as I begin to open it, and this is where I've never done something like this in a sermon before. When we begin to open it and take out what's in the box and see the pieces and the instruction manual that comes with it, and you know, we get super excited about, about what we're going to do with our, new, with our new Lego kit, all the amazing things that it's going to— um, give, you know, we're going to be able to play with it in so many different ways. And then, you know, three months later, think about it. Would you still be as excited about this kit? Would it still be, still be something that got you super excited? Or, or would it be something that maybe you were a little bit bored about? It, you know, as I was walking the, the aisle at Toys R Us, there, there was also three other kits that caught my eye. And if I'm bored of this one, maybe those ones will make me happy. Have you ever felt this way before? What you thought would make you happy, what you thought would give you life, didn't actually do what you were hoping it would. And then you have to go looking for more. This uncovers something truly life-changing for us that these biblical authors began to understand when they, when they met God or when they were invited to journey with God is that, that on, on the, uh, what Jesus invites us into is a different road, a different way of finding life, one that we can't find on our own. A church father who spent a great deal of his life searching for what would make him happy, what, what life was all about, couldn't help but, but um, look for it in the wrong places, and it ended up leaving him feeling more empty than before. And he put, he put it into words better than a lot of people ever have, and he said this. He said, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And what he's saying is that until we find our deepest joy, our deepest satisfaction, our deepest excitement in God, we will be searching for things that will make us happy, and nothing will be able to fill us up. You know, the, the call to worship from this morning, are you thirsty? We are thirsty people, and we need to recognize that, that we can't find water of life without God coming to us first, inviting us into a different journey of life. There's something broken deep down in each of us that makes it impossible to find this satisfying life without God waking us up and showing us the way. You know, maybe this is for you this morning. Maybe you're tired of searching. 
Maybe you, you stumbled upon this link to this service just because it was, it was kind of a last resort thing. Maybe this is God waking you up, calling you into a different way of finding life. The second point for our sermon this morning is the guide for our journey. If we were to have a box similar to this one, with a picture on the front of it of life with Jesus, what would that be? I think it may be the resurrection, right? The, the, the future for us as, as Christians. Paul writes about this in the Romans passage. He says, For we are united with Christ in his death, but we will also be united with Christ in his resurrection. Right? Christ's new life becomes ours when we're united with him in faith. Resurrection is what Christ earned for us when we went to the cross for us, died for us, and rose again. I've said this before, but, but I'll say it again. For us as Christians, that means that the worst case scenario is life with Jesus forever. We are promised eternity with God, complete joy, unending happiness, and this is the amazing image that should get us excited. You know, Tim Keller puts resurrection in the Christian life like this, and he uses the image of, of the Lord of the Rings. He says, just after the climax of the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee discovers that his friend Gandalf actually wasn't dead, as they thought he was, but he was alive. And Sam cries out, I thought you were dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And Keller writes this, he says, the answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. This is the promise of God. Imagine for a moment, everything sad in your life, all of the anxiety in your life, everything broken in our world coming untrue. That's the image that's on the box of the Christian life. That's what we can take hold of when we believe in Jesus. But as everybody knows, right, when we open up that box, we get a bunch of pieces. We have to actually build the Lego kit. In the journey to resurrection, in Christianity, as God is, he has invited us into this journey to find life in him. He's the guide for this journey, but there's no instruction booklet. We can't take a look at, at, at the instruction booklet like we can in a Lego kit and flip to page 9 or 11 and see, okay, here's step 10. Here's step 11. Here's where I'm at in my journey if there was a booklet like this, I think it would be pretty tough to handle because Jesus, as he's honest in this passage in the Gospels, right? He, he is very um, forward about the difficulty that we will encounter in this journey of faith because Jesus brings us into our deepest brokenness into our, our, the things that are most wrong with us so that he can make them new and rebuild them. 
Everyone goes through the cross before we can pass through the empty grave. And so the, 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 the Lego box for the Christian life, the, the one that has the picture of the resurrection and the hope that we have in Christ, when we open it up and when we take it apart, we find that there's no instruction manual. There's an invitation to trust. We don't know what the individual steps are going to be of being made new. And so he invites us to trust him to take us there. And this is what baptism is that Paul's talking about. Right? It's the invitation to, to be united with Christ in his death, trusting that it will lead to resurrection. If we look at the gospel text from this morning, we'll notice that the sales pitch that Jesus gives to his disciples is as follows. He says, you know, I'm going to send you out on this mission of proclaiming the good news to Israel, and you can expect to be treated as I'm treated. So that's verse 24 and 25. Uh, And if you think about how Jesus was treated, specifically near the end of his life, that's not very encouraging for us if we're looking for an easy life. Second thing, you will see divisions in your close relationships. This is verse 34 and 36. Right? He, there's this confusing part of the gospel where Jesus says, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to turn man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And many of us think, well, what? I thought Jesus was come, came to bring peace on earth. But what Jesus is talking about here is that he doesn't promise a life where we will be liked. The, the message of the gospel is so radical that it, is, it isn't going to be embraced by everyone and it will, will lead to divisions in our relationships. It isn't the popular choice. Not everyone, even close, pe- those who are close to us, will agree with us or like us. That's not a guarantee. And the third thing is that we have to be willing to give up our very life in order to, to live uh, with Jesus, to have life with Jesus. That's verse 37 to 39. One person I was reading this week said that the major interpretation of Jesus' call to take up one's cross is the decision to be prepared not only for death, but violent death. And so as we read this gospel passage, it's like one, two, three, and, you know, it just floods over us this this honest uh, 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 lesson on what the Christian life in in, uh, this world will be like. So we can think, is this maybe, maybe this is a challenge that doesn't apply to us. And this is where the, the language of Paul's Uh, Paul using in Romans about baptism is very helpful. He says, don't you know you've already died? See, I don't know about you, but I don't often think of myself as dead. (laughs) I think of myself as quite alive, right? I'm breathing, my heart's pumping, I'm alive. But but he's like, no, you're dead to sin. You're dead to your old self. You're living for Jesus now. It's a new life that he's invited you into. And so every day, maybe it would be helpful for me every morning to just dip my hands in that baptismal font, to to feel the the waters of baptism on my fingers and remind myself that I'm dead 
to sin and I'm alive to Jesus and I can trust him. So as a Christian, we have an image on the box, the, the resurrection image, and, but it takes a lot of trust to follow Jesus into what he's making us into, in, into the, the, the way of mission that he invites his disciples into. This is tough stuff. How is this the way to life, and how can we trust God in the thick of it? For Paul, it all comes down to the cross. It's all coming down to the cross. All the anxiety in our lives, all the brokenness we battle, all of the guilt and the shame that we carry at at poor decisions we've made in the past, or parental challenges we're experiencing now, or simple mistakes that add up and can be overbearing. All the fear of the future and what it holds for us all the regret in the past, all of that has been carried by Jesus to the cross. See, the cross gives us not just grace for the future, grace for the picture, but grace for the individual steps as Christ is making us new. Christ was the perfect human. He's the only human who didn't do anything wrong. And and in fact, in the Gospel of John, John describes Christ as the instruction manual. He's the logos. He's the word. But on the cross, he was broken apart. On the cross, he was dismantled. On the cross, he was stepped on and smashed. See, why would the perfect human let himself be deconstructed and tossed to the side so that he could walk beside us and rebuild us? The cross proves to us that although we don't know the steps that God will take to bring life to us, We can know that everything happens. Every part of the faith that that Christ instructs us to live out is actually part of a unique step-by-step instruction booklet, a process of being remade by God into resurrection. We can trust that God is the ultimate builder because Christ was broken for you. Christ was broken for you. So we can trust him with our very lives. Nothing. If we're focusing on the cross, if we look to Jesus constantly, nothing can shake us. So this leads us to our third point, the practices that build us. This means that to the degree we trust, to the degree that we trust in Jesus is the degree that we'll be able to bring our faith to every category of our lives. So the fullness of our response to the gospel of how, you know, these, these writers that we read from Jeremiah, from the Psalms, from, uh, from Matthew, from Romans, all of these writers were, were, their response to Jesus came out of their trust in him. Talking about our faith in whatever voice, 
but particularly a loud voice, particularly a public voice, often fills us with a lot of anxiety and fear. Because the cost to following Jesus is made real when we bring it into the public, when we, when we bring it out in front, and it's put on display. The things that Jesus talks about in, in, in his, his um, sermon of missions, what it's called, um, is, is made real when we put our faith in the public. But going back to how excited we get, if, if the gospel really is good news, if it's the best news, if it's the life-changing, uh, transforming, renewing good news that we believe that it is, how can we not shout it from the rooftops? If it's the most important thing, how can we not get excited about it? How can we not find ways to bring it into the public if it's as life-changing as we claim that it is for us? I, I was, there was this atheist that I was listening to one time who said he doesn't respect any Christian who doesn't live their, life, their faith in the public. He says, if you have a message that you says changes the world and you don't, you don't tell people about it, what does that say about your message? See, this is challenging to us, to me as a pastor, I'm not perfect. I have a hard time with this. But Jesus is telling us here something that, that we shouldn't be afraid of because of the cross. Right? Because Jesus went to the cross and rose again from the dead, it sets us free to live our faith in the public. In fact, in the journey of faith, it's actually the things that we think will take away joy that end up being the most life-giving. In life with Jesus, losing our lives is how to find it. Putting ourselves out there is how to find life. How does this work? Well, I remember hearing a pastor at a conference say one time that there's nothing that will drive you to your knees more than living your, your faith in the public, public's eye. What does this mean? It means if you're going to be open about your Christian faith, it's going to lead you to your knees because you know you can't do it on your own. It's going to lead you to trust Jesus more deeply. And so the question that I come to at the end of this passage is what if Jesus is, is, say, is, is, is inviting us to, to, to shout the gospel from the rooftops because it's the, one of the most important steps in our rebuilding process. Right? What if public faith What if public faith is foundational in putting the pieces in place of our new life in Christ, in our new trust, what if it's life-changing? You know, we have to remember that every Lego kit is made by a series of steps, right? There's individual steps. It's not just one and done. And so we can remember this for living our faith in, in, in the public um, because it's, it's not something that we need to get 60 on right away. But ask ourselves the question, what's the next step? 
How can I be more open? How can I, how can I tell my friends more effectively? Maybe you need more information. Maybe you need to read a book. This one here, Evangelism in a Skeptical World, is just a really helpful, easy read on how, uh, what, what are some of the things that, that make the unbelievable good news more believable. There's helpful resources, resources for us. Maybe you need to talk to somebody who, do, who does this well, one of your friends, a pastor in town. Or maybe you just need to take a step and just trust and see that Jesus will meet you there on the other side. In all things, I think we have to remember that obeying Jesus always means a step forward in our life with him. Obedience to Jesus always results in more life, not less. More joy, not less. As he says, to save your life, you have to lose it. We must trust Christ above all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your word to us this morning that there are brothers and sisters in Christ from throughout the centuries that have wrestled with the same things we wrestle with. Um, God, as we encounter your call to, to uh, be on mission for you, to, to share the good news with our friends and our neighbors, uh, we have to admit that we're often uh, fearful of, of doing this. We often uh, hold back. And Father, we don't even know um, sometimes how to begin to, to share our faith. Father, help us to see that uh, this, is, this invitation, this, this call to shout the good news from the rooftops is actually an invitation to a deeper trust relationship with you. So Father, help us have the boldness Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may take uh, advantage of the opportunities you give us. Lord, that we may take the next step, each one of us, whatever that is, the next step. Father, we pray that you give us the grace uh, in order to um, continue on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.